Welcome to the South Everett Foursquare podcast. This is Pastor Chris Pepler, and you have joined us for our seven I Am Statements of Jesus series as found in the Gospel of John. We've also included a portion of our worship service this morning. Thanks so much for being with us, and we hope to see you soon. before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore in the church said Amen. Amen. Rises, we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon. 
stuff in life. Look around, you're not alone. Keep that hand raised if God carried you through some stuff in life. So if you feel like you're alone, look around. Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaken I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus Yes, I do And He's never let me down He's faithful through generations Oh, I would he fail now, even 
Even in your life he won't In your circumstances he won't fail He won't fail He won't. <laughs> How quickly we forget Go through the ocean 
Church, the Lord has you in his hand. Where else would you want to be? <laughs> to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God. Our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. I got a text this morning from Jay Knobloch at like 9, 12 a.m. That's what the text said. And he just said, I'm praying against distraction this morning that the church would be focused. Which is wonderful because we're entering into a summer built around the ideas centered in our identity, who God has called us to be, and what God has called us to do, based on the miracles of God and the words of God, as found in the Gospel of John. And it's really easy to get distracted, especially when we're focused on identity. I find that when we teach on identity and people get a clear picture of who God has made them to be, distraction increases. In opposition increases. But he gives us a way. He says, look to the mountains. Look to where your help comes from. I had a distracted week. It was just one of those weeks when someone says, how was your week? And you're like, I don't know. It was all over. A two-night backpacking trip. Went up to Tuck and Robin Lakes, which is in the Alpine Lakes Wilderness area. Lots of hiking. Lots of exploration. Lots of sleeping out in nature. But I woke up on Friday morning and crawled up over... Uh, the granite slab from our tent. Our tent is about 15 feet from where this picture is taken of Temple Rock and Mount Daniels. And the Lord just reminded me of that verse in Psalm 121 that says, Live, where, do, where do I get my help, Lord? Where does my help come from? I look to the mountains where my help comes from, the maker of heaven and earth. Where does my help come from? Lift your eyes to the mountains. At sunrise, when the sun rises above the peak and shines down, this is where my help comes from. And he helps us to lift our eyes. And sometimes does not lift us away from our circumstances, but lifts us up in them. So church, just open your hands today and receive from the Lord what he would give you by way of seeing a path through a way where there is no way that he would make a path. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to the book of John. We're going to be hanging out in John 16. More of an overview. I should give you a bunch of scriptures today. But more of an overview. We are beginning a new series that will carry us through the summer that I'm very excited about. already told you that this summer we're going to be focusing on identity and purpose. So identity, who I am in Christ, purpose, what Christ has called me to do. And when we get locked in on who we are in him and ask him what he's called us to do, opportunity will open up like nothing else because God has prepared work in advance for us. Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 says that we are God's workmanship and God has created works for us to do in advance. And it is our job as followers of Jesus to simply step into that. And as we step into the thing God has asked us to do, it opens up doors for other people to step into. When we step into our identity. He has made me for a purpose. I am forgiven. I am his child. I am redeemed. I'm stepping into that. And he gives me something to do when I do it. Look out. 
Because that is the essence of discipleship. It's what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus in the Gospel of John makes seven I am statements, and there are seven I do miracles. There was the actions of Jesus, there was the words of Jesus, and they're divided equally throughout the Gospel, and that's important. I'm going to start the series, the I am statements of Jesus, by telling you about my friend Cheryl Penn. And the reason we begin an I Am series with her uh, is because she would always talk about who we are in Christ is the most important thing. Cheryl would say all the time, Chris, you are not a human doing. You are a human being. And she knew that I would put the doing in front of the being quite often. And she would remind me all the time that I am not a human doing. Does anyone feel like a human doing sometimes? I just do all day long, and I can never just be? We're called human beings. Cheryl's a longtime family friend of ours. I had the privilege of being Cheryl's son's youth leader, and then his youth pastor beginning 22 years ago was the first time I took Jared to camp as a seventh grader. He's in his 30s now. Uh, but even before I met Cheryl 22 years ago, she was friends of my mother-in-law, Jan Krautwurst. They've had a 30-year friendship, and so she's been a long-time family friend. Uh, Cheryl uh, served as an ordained minister of the Foursquare Gospel, and for years she and I served together on the pastoral staff of Eastside Foursquare Church. Uh, we were on the crisis care team together, so... Like chaplains would just hang out in a large church and wait for something to go sideways in somebody's life, which usually only took to like 9.05 in the morning. You know, something was going on. If it was a hospitalization or if it was a cancer diagnosis or if it was a problem in a marriage or a financial burden, uh, Cheryl would be a part of that team that would just respond to times in need. And so we were able to walk with people through times of celebration and despair, which was a really, really neat thing to do. Most recently, I had the privilege of helping to certify Cheryl as a professional life and clarity coach with the Waken Coaching School, which I participated in in Southern California as we do more and more coaching. It was Cheryl's hope to eventually be a part of some of the things that were going on here uh, on Casino Road. The Lord took her home a little sooner than that, however. So the cool thing about Cheryl is that one of her deepest convictions was to lead people into the full life that God had called them to. She was always meeting with people from the deepest point of their despair, always pointing towards hope. And so many people in Cheryl's passing are talking about, coming out talking about how helpful she was to them and helping them find their purpose. And so last year, at the end of last year, Cheryl was diagnosed with a cancer that quickly spread throughout her entire body. Um, needless to say, this was a difficult process for our whole family to go through. We were last together on Easter Sunday. She came over and shared a meal with us on Easter. Uh, she looked pretty good at that point. Uh, but it was in my early conversations after Cheryl's diagnosis of cancer when I called and I wanted to console her. But I, I couldn't find a way to console her because she didn't seem like she was in despair. She was filled with hope. And I was on the phone. I'm like, should I, you know, how do I help you? How do I walk? And she just said, Chris... God put me on this earth for a certain number of days, and I am choosing life. She says, I'm choosing life. And she walked that every day for six months until July 1st of this year when the Lord took her home, just 10 days ago. But Cheryl was one who chose life. 
And knowing what we know about eternity, I am glad that she is home. Her life here in this life, especially in the last half of her life, was really, really difficult. And if I'm honest, I would not have chosen the life that the Lord gave her over the last 20 years. But I'm glad that she chose that life because I'm a direct beneficiary of the life that she chose. I am better because of Cheryl Penn's influence in my life. She stepped into her calling because she understood her identity, just like Jesus understood his calling to set people free because he understood his identity as God's one and only son. As Jesus steps into his identity, we step into it with him. So as Cheryl stepped into that, others step into it. And as we are given opportunity to step in, we do and others follow. And that is discipleship. Cheryl cannot see. She is blind as a bat. And she has ministered to people out of a sight that exists deeper within her than her eyes to see and discern what goes on in the lives of people. Now she can see. Now Cheryl's free in Christ and we are the beneficiaries in the hearing of her testimony today. Amen. In the Lord of the Rings, anybody Lord of the Rings fans? I'll be honest, I'm trying. I am trying. I feel like I should like it and I just turn the movies on and they're just so long. It's, you know, the books. But... I know they climb mountains. I try. I try, Lauren. They do. And, and so I'm not going to share this story from Lord of the Rings and try to like fake that I'm some big fan or even seen the whole movie. I, I found the quote because it was, a, it was a Tolkien quote, not because Gandalf said it, but I found it and then I watched the YouTube clip to know the context of the quotes. So you've probably seen this movie. I've seen the clip. I ain't going to show it to you. But it is the scene in the Lord of the Rings the fellowship of the ring and Frodo is sitting with Gandalf and they're together and Frodo is lamenting. He is lamenting the responsibilities that had been given to him concerning the ring. Y'all probably know more about this than I do. I'm just telling you what I've seen this point. He said, I wish the ring had never come to me, right? I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And then Gandalf replied, So do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that has been given to us. All we have to do in this life is decide what to do with the time that's been given to us. It's the great equal resource. We all have time and the ability to discern how we will spend it. And because of the recorded conversations that we have between Jesus and his father in the garden before the night when Jesus went to the cross, you know Tolkien's talking about Jesus. He ain't talking about Frodo and some ring. He's talking about some God and some cross. If there's any other way but for me to do the thing that you've called me to do, Lord, make a way. But if there is no way, then your will be done. And Jesus went to the cross because he understood his identity and he understood his purpose. He knew it was going to be painful and he still walked it out. That's what Jesus did. All Jesus had to decide was what to do with the time that had been given to him. Three years in this life. Did he do a lot? And so sometimes I wonder about how Jesus felt 
with these responsibilities, right? We know that he didn't like it all the time. He still did what God called him to do. Sometimes I wonder about how Jesus' earliest followers felt about what had been given to them. Do you ever wonder when you think about what Jesus' followers were asked to do, like John, who penned the gospel, who penned the three letters to the churches that would go out from Ephesus, and then was sent to an island to get a revelation about the end and the coming of Christ a second time. And he did it. Do you think John ever wondered in the moment, what is going on on this island? I was pastoring these churches, Lord, and now you got me on this island? Yeah, to record something they're still going to talk about 2,000 years from now. The applicable message to seven churches. What we've come through in our seven churches series is another part of this. It's connected. Same author that recorded the gospels and the sayings of Jesus recorded the letters of Jesus to the church in Western Turkey. All these things connect. But I wonder about how they felt about those responsibilities in the moment. A deeply meaningful responsibility to de- proclaim the one true hope. That was what they had. This meaningful opportunity to proclaim the hope of Jesus. That was the job of the disciples almost exclusively. It set them free from darkness. And they wanted to set other people free. But to set other people free with the light, you have to go into the dark. That's the job of a disciple, is to go into difficult places with the hope of Jesus. And Jesus said the work would be hard, right? When, when Jesus says the work would be hard, and that the proclamation of his name would be met with opposition, has anyone found that? That the proclamation of the name of Jesus has been met with opposition. I'm so glad Jesus told me, because I know it is true. So Jesus said to his disciples at the conclusion of the Last Supper, which had to be like the greatest after-dinner speech ever. And we find most of it in John. We find it in John 13 is the event, the recorded event of the disciples and Jesus gathering for the Last Supper. And then chapters 14, 15, and 16 is the after-dinner speech. John 16, 33. I'm going to back it up. This is the conclusion of that speech. I have told you these things. Thank you. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. Who wants some peace? Anybody a little extra peace? Could use a little peace right now? I have told you these things that you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. That's not the first thing you want to hear after somebody tells you they want to give you peace. Right? Yeah, they don't usually go together. They don't. Here, I'm going to give you some peace. So by the way, guess what? This is going to be really hard. What's coming next? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The New King James says, be of good cheer. Anyone heard that? Be of good cheer. Take heart. The word in the Greek is tharseo. It's this deeply embodied sense of encouragement. And do you know what it is to encourage a person? It is to literally put courage in them. You bring courage and you put it in Bubba and you put it in Josh and you put it in Cody and you take time to just put courage in people. In the power that Jesus gives you, you can do it, Todd. You can do it, Lauren, the things that God has called you to. Justin, you can do 10 outreaches this summer with your kids and you will catch that fish after a thousand casts. Encourage people. Put courage in people. Tharseo. Be of good cheer. Take heart. I have overcome the world. 
This is what Jesus is doing to his believers, his followers, his disciples who will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is crucified on a cross. He puts courage in them while he washes their feet. He puts courage inside of them. He knew who he was and he knew what his purpose was. He stepped into it so 12 could step into it so we could step into it. Purpose and identity. When we understand our identity, who we are in Christ, our purpose becomes clear. We step into it and it opens for everybody. I have told you these things. What did he tell them? What did he give them before he gave them the hardest assignment they'd ever had? In the midst of trouble, Jesus, beginning in John 14, starts talking about the way to the Father. We know that verse, right? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was part of the after-dinner speech. That's where we find that. He says, I am the way. He not only talks about and gives, provides direction for his disciples in following the way to the Father, he promises them the power of the Holy Spirit, which they could not have understood in the moment, just like the power that God's going to give you this week to do whatever you're called to do. Can you possibly understand that power now, David? No. You know the power of God. But he will reveal it to you in a really unique way, maybe Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. But whenever it is right when you need it this week, you will get it. The scripture says that the Spirit lives with us and will be in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. Not only is the power of the Spirit with us, it's in us. Because we're the church that goes out. So Jesus goes beyond that, admonishes his disciples to remain. Go, but remain. Go, but remain in me. I will carry you to the place where you will go. Jesus goes on to teaching them about using his name in prayer. John 16, 22, back up 11 verses. This is encouraging when we're really going through it. A couple in our church called me this morning and said, we cannot be in fellowship this morning. I'm dealing with a, a physical ailment. My wife is dealing with chronic headaches that will not go away. And we keep praying that God will take them away. And it just doesn't seem to be going away. So maybe your prayers will help because it doesn't feel like God is listening to us. Perfectly fine text message to send. Because it's okay to tell God that we don't feel like he hears us. But I prayed for them and then I sent them this scripture, which I hope in some way is encouraging, if not now, later. Part of the dinner speech, John 16, 22. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Mm. Anyone going through a hard time right now, that you can say, this is your time of grief, but Jesus is coming for you so that your joy will always be. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that the hope we kind of need right now? That he will be our joy in all seasons and in our time. And then Jesus leaves them with this encouragement, his disciples with this encouragement, and then in their presence, he prayed for the disciples. So in his presence, in their presence, he didn't just tell them he did those things. He actually prayed for them. And then it says in John 17 that he prayed for future believers, which guess what? We're in that crowd. So Jesus, in the presence of his disciples, prayed for us. And that's what we're doing here today. So our hope in this series, we're going to hear from a lot of people in this series. We're going to hear from Warren Ocotero. 
We're going to hear from Mark Einfeld. We're going to hear from Danessa Gonzalez. We're going to hear from Chris Norby. We're going to hear from one of my former mentors, Matt Messner. We have all kinds of guest speakers coming in to share about the seven I am statements of Jesus. It's based loosely out of this book. I thought I'd give us a backbone, an additional aid to what Jesus says in the scriptures to kind of walk through this. If you want to do a deeper study this summer and you want to look into more of this with us, I am Changes Who I Am by Greg Matt. Phenomenal read. It covers both the seven miracles and the seven I am statements of Jesus. We'll be doing the back half together, but it's a challenging read. We'll be going through it together this summer. But the hope, the hope is this. Together that we would have courage, not just old courage, but fresh courage to know who we are as the people who make up South Everett Foursquare Church. That Dan McKinnon would have a better sense of who he is in Christ on August 31st than he has on July 10th. Because he's just hanging out with Jesus all summer. Right? That we would know who we are in Christ in fresh ways. And that we would have courage to know what to do about it, Candy Knobloch. What am I going to do? Here's these missionaries from Iowa and Montana that met in Taiwan and then got displaced to Seattle in COVID. They live in a summer camp, for crying out loud. That's where they've spent their entire married life because they're not worried about their own material possessions. I mean, maybe they are a little bit, but they have given themselves completely to the work of the Lord in this season. Grace and David also live out at that base, tirelessly giving of themselves and praying fervently for God's church around the world and the unity in the body of Christ. They know their purpose. And when you sit with them, you're like, God, I better figure out what my purpose is because this guy's got it. This gal's got it figured out. I want that. If we get crystal clarity on who God called us and what he's called us to do, that enough is going to get people to turn to Jesus because people are looking for hope. Amen? So that's the goal this summer. Right? All summer long. That we're going to know who we are and what God's called us to do. Do you ever wrestle with who God says you are? Just think about that for a minute. Do you ever wrestle with who God says you are? This presupposes something that we know who God says who we are. Right? It would... You can go look, Google search this, who God says I am, and you'll get like a hundred (laughs) verses. It's only about a third of the verses of what God says he is or who God says he is, but there's a whole chunk. And if you're wondering who God says that you are, Google it. Google knows about this. You can painstakingly also go through your Bible, but somebody also did it. So there's really no excuse. He says that we're a child of God, 2 Timothy 1.19. He says that we're chosen, 1 Thessalonians 1.4. He says that we are the apple of the Father's eye, Psalm 17.8. He says that we are being changed into his image, 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says we're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says that we've been forgiven of all our sins, hallelujah, all of them, even the one that you cannot get free from. That one too. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19. We are fearfully, wonderfully made, Psalm 139.14. We could do that for an hour. Maybe we should. But look here, do you ever wrestle with who God says you are? Take that to him if you're wondering how to spend your time. Take one of these verses, or maybe take each one. You could do this. Let's do this this summer. Let's do this. Let's make up a list of all the things that God says that we are. I'll go find it. I'll Google it. Unless somebody wants to Google it for us. 
We'll just print a list. Warren's already on it. <laughs> we'll just print a list and we'll hand it out next Sunday. And you can go wrestle with the list all summer until you feel like you're more of those things than you thought that you were now. Amen? Amen. That'll be the guide. We'll use the word as the backbone. Thank you, but we'll wrestle with those things individually. Second question that we'll tackle and think about this summer. Do you ever have mixed feelings about what Jesus has given you to do? Do you ever have mixed feelings about something God has called you into? Who has a dream in the back of their head that they're too afraid to share with somebody because if it came out, you might actually have to be accountable to it? I keep outing myself that the Lord wants to do coaching in this community, biblically-centered coaching to help people find their identity and their purpose. And Bubba, it scares me to death because it's such a big task. And when I say it out loud, then Bubba has to ask me questions like, how's the coaching center coming? And I don't want to talk about it because it's hard. But it's helping people find their identity. So what's the thing that God is wrestling with you about to do, that you're wrestling with him about to do? Cheryl, who we just talked about, I run around all over the place talking about, I'm a reconciler. God's made me a reconciler. I'm a reconciler. She heard me say that too much. She goes, Chris, you've forgotten a deeper identity. So it was like three months ago in the middle of cancer and chemo and throwing up and stuff. God used her life to the end. She goes, you are not a reconciler. She goes, you are a child of God who holds the office of reconciliation. Identity, then mission. Identity, then mission. Identity, then mission. You can't accomplish the mission without his identity. You can't. It's impossible. We can try. <laughs> yeah, they did it in the desert, round, round, round for 40 years, <clears throat> and then some. But how do you feel about that thing that God has given you as a gift? Jesus says a lot about who we are and what we've been given to do. Jesus says even more about who he is. So we will look for that. The apostles, they lived this life worth living. Specifically John, he lived a life that was worth living. The God who gave him a life to live in excellence, he did. He decided well what to do with the time that was given to him. John did. It seems most everything given to John by God was given away to other people. He just gave it all away to churches all around Ephesus. He pastored in Ephesus for 30 years and just kept giving of himself. And as far as I can tell, based on what I've read about the Apostle John, he used his life most to help others understand who Christ was. That's just what he did with his life. And his life call was hard, but it was not without direction. It was not without the Holy Spirit. His life was not without a place to abide. It was not without the power of prayer. It was not without Jesus praying for him and over him. You see, John had this ridiculous assignment. He had to pastor in the city of Ephesus with people with two entirely different worldviews, right? Not everyone that came to Jesus in Ephesus was a Jew. There was Greeks, and there was Romans, and there were all these other people, and he was coming with the same message of hope for two entirely different audiences. First were the Messianic Jews. These were the, the little kids that grew up in Jewish culture, went to all the Jewish schools, understood the Jewish tradition and the festivals and the prayers and the Torah and all of it. They understood it all, and somehow they met Jesus and incorporated the two. If you ever have a chance to go to a Messianic congregation, do it. It's all the tradition and the hope of the Old Testament centered in Jesus, and it's beautiful. 
It is a beautiful thing. So there was these Messianic Jews running around. There was these kids that grew up as Jews and followed Jesus as the trusted Messiah. They believed the, the Old Testament scriptures that Isaiah foretold was actually about Jesus and they followed him. So that's one group of people. Their worldview was this. We know God based on what God does. So life was about what you did, not what you said if you grew up in a Jewish heritage. What did you do? What did you do? If it was all Jews, he could have just preached that message and left it with the seven miracles. But there were also Greeks. There were also Romans in the world. Don't you know that Greek philosophy is a big deal? What you say matters so much. And so to the Greeks, the Gentile believers, these pig-eating pagans, the Jews would say, you eat pork? <gasps> we both follow Jesus, but we don't eat pork. You know what I'm talking about? These cultural tensions that were going on? Because Jewish heritage didn't allow people to eat pork. Because pigs were dirty. But they loved Jesus. But so did the people who had no problems eating pork. Guess what? Jesus is bigger than pork. He had space for both. And so John, knowing that he was pastoring both Jews, Messianic Jews, and Greeks and Romans, had to make the Gospel of John, which he penned, about both. So there's seven I do miracles in seven I am statements, and they're all mixed up together in this text. And it's beautiful because John knew he was trying to reach everybody. So the seven miracles of Jesus. He turned water into wine. He healed the nobleman's son. Healing the lame man, fed 5,000, he walked on water, healed the blind, the man born blind, and raised Nazareth from the dead. Those were the seven things, the miracles that he did that are recorded in the Gospel of John. Now we have the statements. You've heard these. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door and the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Remember from the seven letters to the seven churches, Jesus identified himself as something that mattered to them. I am this, and I know what you're going through. These themes are repeating. Same author, same disciple, following the same Jesus. The seven miracles to help the Jews, the seven statements to help the Greeks, because guess who the Bible's for? Everybody. The Holy Spirit gave John exactly what he needed to reach as many people as he could. And he will do the same for us. Who I am and what Jesus has called me to do is based on who Jesus says he is and what the Father called him to do. That's it. Next eight weeks. Who I am is based on who Jesus says that I am, right? And what Jesus calls me to do is based on who Jesus is and what the Father has called him to do. So we're going to look into the statements, right? Because we're a predominantly Greek Western audience, right? We care about graphs. We care about pictures. Show me the outcomes, right? Give me a formula. Who likes formulas? I'm just going to figure God out. Y'all, I'll tell you what, as a life coach, I'm trying to help people figure stuff out. I'm helping to give them purpose. That's not bad. It's just very Western. Because in an Eastern mindset, you'd be like, God is in the cloud, and don't you dare ask. Right? So we're going to talk about who he is. The full power of our witness is found 
in our words and our actions. That's our full witness, is what we say and what we do. Jesus was focused, and he calls us to be focused in both places. This is who I am, this is what I'm called to do, go do it. Amen? But guess what's happening right now? Vulnerability is happening, because when we talk about identity and purpose, sharing that stuff gets scary. So if your heart is beating hard because someone's about to ask you to share with some sort of person, some stranger, maybe someone you don't know very well, what you're called to and who you are, let the Lord find you in that place and give you courage to share something. Because we got to get through these questions if we're going to be who God's called us to be, to be the church he's called us to be. Amen? Amen? Jesus, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you love the Jews. God, thank you you have a plan for the Jewish people for hope and restoration. God, thank you that you didn't leave us out of it. Thank you for your cross. Thank you that you chose your purpose because of who you were all the way through, from the beginning to the end. God, we pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit today to speak to identity, to speak to purpose. And Lord, we pray against the schemes of the enemy and the opposition that will inevitably come as we step into who we've been called to be because your word says that we will experience trouble in this world. But be of good cheer, take heart, Tharseo, encourage, I have overcome the world, says Christ. There is no weapon that has been fashioned against us that will stand. In the name of Jesus, we pray.